You're listening to AIB Market Talk with our latest financial market update. Hello and welcome to our special Market Talk podcast with AIB Private Banking. I'm Jane Kavner from AIB Corporate Treasury and I'm very pleased to be joined once again by Connor English, Head of Investments with AIB Private Banking and John Fahey, AIB Senior Economist. John and Connor, welcome back. A lot of volatility in the markets to discuss. John, if I might go to you first, the last time we spoke, there were some very tentative signs of improvement for the global economy. Has this trend continued? Yeah, so when we last spoke, as you said, we kind of started to see some data surprises to the upside of expectations. So this is all tied in with some of the major advanced economies starting to gradually ease back the restrictions that have been put in place to contain the global pandemic. So what we've seen since then is further upside surprises in data versus expectations. So it is encouraging, but we're still early days yet. But we've seen data like the purchasing manager indices, retail sales data, consumer confidence data, and more recently, US payroll data, all coming in ahead of expectations. What that's telling us is that the rebound may be happening at a quicker than expected pace. But overall, what we're looking at is the first half of the year, we're looking at a deep global recession. And then as we get into the second half of the year, we're envisaging a pickup and some recovery. And as we said and outlined there, the data is suggesting that. So that's encouraging. But the bigger picture, I suppose we can't forget, is that you know what we're looking at in 2020 is probably the largest fall in GDP since the 1930s, which was period was known as the Great Depression. And what's different this time around is it's very much concentrated and practically concentrated in a quarter in terms of Q2. So the data for Q2 in terms of when we get official growth data is going to be very negative, double digit contractions in GDP on a quarterly basis across a lot of the advanced economies. But really, that's what we expect. And the key thing now is what the data is telling us for the second half of the year. And those survey indicators for May and June and some of the early release hard data for that period is very encouraging. And Connor, following on from what John has outlined, how did the equity markets fare in quarter two following that sharp correction we saw in quarter one? Well, equity markets had a really strong quarter from end March to end June. We saw double-digit returns from most major equity markets with global equities rebounding about 18%. And you might recall they had fallen over 20% in quarter one. So going back to the market bottom at the 23rd of March, global equities were up almost 35% to end June. So a significant rally. And I suppose looking at the S&P 500, which would be the main US equity index, that rose 20% in quarter two, having fallen by the exact same amount in quarter one, 20%. So pretty much a reversal of the declines that we'd seen in quarter one. And that was you know, driven by, I suppose, a number of factors the main ones being the fall off in the number of new coronavirus infection cases. We also saw on the back of that a lot of economies reopening or certainly easing restrictions to allow partial reopening, as we've seen in Ireland itself here. We also saw continuation of governments and central banks announcing further monetary and fiscal stimulus programs and also some good news on developments in relation to COVID-19 vaccines. So overall, that very positive news for equity markets and gave a much better tone to our investors during quarter two. Encouragingly, we also saw a drop in the VIX index, which is the major measure for volatility in markets that fell from over 53 at the end of March to a figure of around 30 at the end of June. So during the course of the quarter, we saw much less dramatic swings on a day-to-day basis than we had seen in quarter one. And that would certainly signal some level of comfort for investors over the quarter. 
Thanks, Connor. It would suggest then that that deepest economic contraction that you talk about in your quarterly bulletin is possibly now expected to be one of the shortest. John, following on from that, things are looking a little bit more encouraging out there at the moment. A lot of positive news, but uncertainty still prevails somewhat out there, does it not? Yeah, because the reason for that is, I suppose, we're dealing with a, a health pandemic here rather than a specific shock from an underlying economic basis in terms of being the origin. So one of the issues is, and actually the U.S. Fed Chairman Jerome Powell acknowledged this last week, while you know spending data in the U.S. and labour market and hiring data has been better than expected, what's driving that is the early lifting of lockdown restrictions, but that in itself is bringing new challenges. And what do I mean by that? Well, basically the easing of restrictions is, is also coinciding with a spike higher in cases, uh, especially in the U.S. We're seeing reports in Florida and Texas and also, you know, the last couple of days we're seeing reports out of Australia in terms of new lockdowns being imposed. So that creates the uncertainty. So even though the data is encouraging at this stage, it's all very much dependent and the biggest risk to this is around, you know, how the COVID-19 pandemic evolves and there's the issue of whether we get further spikes and then the potential for a second wave. So that will mean that uncertainty will still remain very prevalent over the next while. And, you know, when we look at interest rate markets, actually, despite all the data kind of coming in stronger than expected, the major interest rate markets are actually leaning towards further policies and by the central banks including rate cuts. So when you look at the futures contracts for the Fed and the BUE, they're tending to suggest that the market's potentially pricing in another 10 basis points of cuts, which would bring rates to zero in both those economies. And they're also looking for the ECB to potentially move the deposit rate into further into negative territory. It's already at minus 0.5, so that would bring us to minus 0.6. So whatever about the recent run of data, fixed income markets and interest rate markets are not convinced yet about the recovery, and they're still more cautious. And I suppose, Connor, that's kind of in contrast to what we're seeing, as you outlined there, in, in equity markets. Equity markets tend to be taking a, a more optimistic view at the moment on the outlook. That would seem to be the case, John. I think the equity markets in recent months have been taking a positive view that the recovery that you mentioned at, at the start will be a very sharp recovery and therefore ex expectation that corporate earnings and therefore share prices can move ahead very strongly. And that's, again, one of the main reasons why we saw the sharp rally in quarter two. I suppose what you mentioned there about interest rates, I think, is, you know, it's a really interesting factor for non-cash assets going forward. Obviously, investors have seen interest rates at historic lows for a number of years now, particularly in Europe. And that, as you say, is the likely scenario for a number of years ahead of us. Typically, that, you know, that would be a positive backdrop for equity markets. And despite those, you know, really low interest rates, the data over the past couple of months has shown that deposits and saving rates have increased across the globe pretty much. And again, that evidence of a wall of money being available into the future would be positive for equity markets in general. So people on the sidelines waiting for what they see to be a good opportunity to reinvest in equity markets in particular, and also possibly commodities, property markets, assets, etc. So the interest rates and deposit rates remaining low for the foreseeable future should be again, very supportive of equity markets over the coming months. And I suppose it's not the case that in terms of like from an interest rate futures expectations perspective, what we could see if the data continues and if the risks around COVID dissipate, then those markets could move back towards, you know, pricing in 
uh, removing those rate cuts they're seeing priced in at the moment and actually bringing forward the potential for rate hikes rather than from three to four years in the next two to three years. So, so that's still as time to develop around that. And as you say, that low interest rate environment is positive for uh, equity markets at the same time. So it's not just a conflictory position. It actually helps support equity markets. Yeah, I think, as you mentioned, Don, you know, there is some conflict between what interest rate and bond markets are saying and what the equity markets are saying. But at the same time, there is some unity, particularly around the interest rate outlook. A lot of investors in recent years really see no alternative but to invest in risk assets. I suppose we always always need to caution that just because deposit rates are low is, is not a good enough reason to invest in risk assets. But certainly it makes it more attractive and more tempting for investors to look for higher returns, be that from higher yielding bonds or from property or from equity assets. Yeah, the, the famous hunt for yield. <laughs> exactly. And that, you know, that's not going to go away because economists like yourselves will, will differ on when exactly you know, interest rates might go up. But Obviously, the view is that for the foreseeable future, interest rates in Europe anyway aren't going to go up. And when they do go up, it will be on a very slow and gradual basis. So people who are in the fortunate position to have money on deposit, unfortunately, are facing the prospect of uh, very low returns from from those deposits. Yeah, because when we look at the ECB contracts further out in terms of what the market's expecting, you know, the first rate hike in terms of the deposit rates, not expected till 2024. So, you know, that's a good distance out. So it's very much lower for longer from that interest rate perspective. So, Connor, we're not overly concerned then, I suppose, that equity markets may have rallied too far too fast. No, we wouldn't be overly concerned about that. Obviously, they have rebounded very quickly in a short space of time. But history has shown that this wouldn't necessarily be unusual. And we have seen periods before where markets have recouped large portions of losses within a 50-day period. And probably, you know, that's even more justified on this occasion, given the speed of the correction that we saw in February and March. So whether that means the current rally is near an end is, of course, the big question. Uh, And again, previous sharp corrections have often been followed by substantial recoveries in markets over a longer period, going back to the likes of 2008, 2009. 2001, 2002, and even as far back as the correction in 1987. So this time around, much will depend on the recovery as full easing of restrictions becomes commonplace. I suppose as regards the main drivers in the rally that we've seen, certainly tech stocks have remained to the fore, and we've seen the likes of Amazon and Netflix hitting all-time highs. And as a result, the tech-heavier Nasdaq index in the US was actually up over 30% in quarter two, and is one of the few equity indices that's showing a positive return for the six months of 12% since the start of the year. So these type of companies benefited both before the lockdown when their higher growth characteristics meant they performed well, and they've also benefited from the lockdown itself when you consider the business models of the likes of those companies such as Amazon and Netflix. In more recent times, sectors such as IT and healthcare have been passed out by other sectors uh, in May and June, the likes of industrials, consumer discretionary and basic materials. So this suggests a reasonably broad-based rally and also helped many European stock markets to outperform the US in recent weeks because most of the European indices would have less exposure to IT sector and possibly more financials in their indices. Thanks, Connor. You've talked about what has been driving the equity markets. What about who's getting left behind? Well, equity markets were to the fore in quarter two, and certainly other asset classes would have taken up the rear relative to equities in the second quarter. 
but returns from bonds, commodities and hedge funds were still positive in the quarter. And we had the remarkable return of 90% plus from oil, albeit uh, from very low levels. But we do have to remember that over the first six months of the year, assets like bonds and hedge funds have actually outperformed equity indices in many cases. And equity indices are still generally in negative territory since the start of the year, despite the strong rebound in quarter two. So global equities still down about 6.5% year to date. The Eurostox 300 index down about 13%. And here at home, the ISAC down 17% for the six months. Whereas compare that to European bonds, which are up about 3%, corporate bonds in Europe down about 1%, and gold being, I suppose, the outlier, that's up 17% uh, since the start of the year. So I think investors just need to be mindful of the power of these asset classes in providing balance in diversified portfolios, because one certainty is that equities will experience falls from time to time. And when those falls happen, they can often be quite dramatic, as we've seen earlier this year. Thanks, Connor. Again, you mentioned the uncertainty and volatility that remains. You both alluded to it. Connor, that must, of course, be a concern for our customers. What are the key issues your clients are concerned about at the moment? Well, maybe referencing back to what John mentioned earlier, probably the biggest one at the moment would be fears around a second wave for the virus and the threat that this would pose for the reopening of economies and possibly reimposing restrictions. So we have mentioned the strong rebound in many indicators when the lockdowns were lifted, but there would be a real fear of the impact of a second lockdown across economies if that were to happen. Currently, investors are also wary about what earnings will be reported by companies for quarter two. Based on forecasted earnings, equity markets are generally reasonably valued, but I would expect any negative surprises for these earnings would call valuations into question and could result in some weakness for equities. At a broader level, customers are also concerned about the upcoming U.S. presidential election. With Joe Biden ahead in the polls, investors are focusing more and more on his policies. And he has indicated an intention to reverse some of Trump's corporate tax cuts. This would likely be balanced out by a more conciliatory approach we'd expect on trade with both Europe and China. And close at home, customers are still worried about Brexit and what the final outcome will be there, although we see this as more of a local issue and should not majorly impact globally diversified holdings. Thanks, Connor. So I guess the burning question now really is, how are you helping your customers, your investors manage through this uncertainty? Well, Jane, I guess our starting point has always been or would always be to build investment portfolios appropriate to customers' risk appetite, their financial circumstances and their return expectations. So it's about putting a long-term strategy in place to meet those objectives. And then it's about the customers sticking with that strategy. So it's important to have a portfolio that's diversified across asset classes, geographies and sectors. And we'd advise our customers to stay calm and to stay invested when short-term shocks do come along, which is not always easy, but it has proven to be the best policy over time. Thanks, Connor. So diversified portfolios, stay invested and don't panic. Connor and John, I very much appreciate you joining me today and sharing your informed views, which are, as always, very interesting. The quarterly investment market and review course is literally hot off the press today and available for download. My thanks to our customers and listeners for joining us in the podcast today. Don't forget for those customers impacted, details of AIB support packages can be found at aib.ie forward slash COVID-19. And of course, stay close to all our latest podcasts by pressing the subscribe button to AIB's Market Talk on the podcast apps for iOS or Android.
Thanks for listening to the latest edition of AIB Market Talk. Allied Irish Bank's PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. First Trust Bank is a trademark of AIB Group UK PLC, authorised by the Prudential Regulation Authority and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority and the Prudential Regulation Authority. Allied Irish Bank GB and Allied Irish Bank GB Savings Direct are trademarks used under licence by AIB Group UK PLC, authorised by the Prudential Regulation Authority and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority and the Prudential Regulation Authority.